In allocating windfall government funds, should we introduce new social grants to support families without income, or should we maintain a long-term view in an effort to encourage sustainable growth for South Africa? Are these two objectives mutually exclusive, and how best can we respond to the needs of South Africans? Welcome to another episode of Ursa's podcast series, where we speak to experts in the field. Joining us today, once again, is one of Alexander Forbes' chief economists, Zayam Tlanger. And in this podcast, we will discuss the best way in which to spend our temporary tax windfall. Given the external pressure to stabilize our debt burden after the unexpected pandemic and internal pressure from South Africans seeing that the COVID-19 social grant is about to expire and bearing in mind that the municipal elections are six months away, what should policymakers prioritize? Today, we get to hear what advice Isaiah has for our policymakers and I'm sure some of this will be very valuable to us individuals concerned about how best we can spend our money at this time. Isaiah, what a pleasure to have you with us again. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you, Margot, and it is a pleasure to be having another conversation on an important policy matter uh, today. Thank you. Thank you. So when we last spoke, we discussed the COVID-19 grant being extended till the end of April, which is pretty much the end of this week. Since then, there has been talk from our social development minister about introducing the basic income grant, which we abbreviate to BIG, I like that, <laughs> to support people aged 18 to 59 that are unable to find work. Could you tell us a little bit more about this grant? How much would this grant pay out and what would be the total annual cost to government with this grant? Mabu, at this point, there's still a lot of detail that it remains missing. It's okay. still very much in discussion. No decision has been made as yet to say it is something that National Treasury or government can introduce. Uh, but it comes out of you know, the concern that a significant proportion of the, of the population that have been supported by the COVID-19 grant um, you know, is coming to, to, to an end uh, this week. And those people are going to, you know, go back into extreme poverty where they are going to struggle with basic needs um, uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. So it is really from that angle where the debate has, has sprung, where a number of people are pushing to say, we need a basic income grant or guarantee for those that are 18 to 59 that are not working. Uh, though this is a noble idea, it has to take into account the fiscal environment that we, we are in. But in short, we don't have um, a, a, you know, final details. It's not yet something which is on the table of Treasury to approve or to even think of on, on implementing. It is still a discussion phase, which, if you also look in the uh, political cycle ahead of local government elections, it sounds nice to tell voters that you can implement a basic income grant or guarantee, therefore they should vote you. But unfortunately, it may actually lead to a better fiscal environment that may worsen the environment post-elections. That's why we are having this discussion today to say what would be required for us to be able to implement it successfully um, for those that require it. 
Okay. And it's interesting because social grants have been argued to have a direct effect on reducing inequality since they do encourage consumption and spending on food and education. When we look at this COVID-19 social grant that we have had, I think it has provided a lot of relief for people. But what do you think is the argument for this going forward? How sustainable should some kind of grant be for people? Look, I think if we if we thinking about social grants as a you know an instrument of reducing inequality, uh, I, I, I would disagree with that. It's quite mistaken for those that put that that push that idea. It does provide relief to lift people out of abject poverty. So it is really in that context that we must view. Um, social grants or even a basic income grant, uh, it, it doesn't reduce inequality by and large because if we're talking about inequality, there are a number of, of them. First is the income inequality, uh, which by and large is reduced by people getting jobs and getting better salaries. Uh, no way can we reduce that type of inequality using social grants. And then we have wealth inequality, which uh, manifests over long periods of time, but also a social grant, a social income grant, can never, um, you know, in our lifetime, reduce wealth inequality. And then we have inequality of opportunity, which means people do not have educational opportunities to the same extent. People do not have job opportunities to the same extent. Um, um, but also the fourth one, which will be inequality in terms of consumption, which is linked to um, uh, income inequality and wealth inequality. And all of these are unlikely to be, to be eliminated, to be reduced to a significant proportion by the introduction of a, a basic income grant. So we really need to look at a basic income grant as a short-term measure to alleviate extreme poverty, not as an instrument to reduce income inequality. That requires the economy to, to grow and for the economy to create jobs, which gives people a better, in, better income. Yes, it's like that argument with the fish. Do we give people fish or teach them how to fish? And Absolutely. I think for a sustainable, for a sustainable long-term growth objective, it makes sense to empower them on a deeper level. So now, when we look at our, what we discussed in one of our previous podcasts, and it's very interesting that SARS managed to collect, am I correct, 38 billion rand in tax more than they expected. I think they expected 100 billion, so they expected about almost 40 billion more than expected. What was responsible for this tax windfall that we had after such a strained year? Look, if we go back to the 2020 medium term budget policy statement, um, and then you compare with the budget of February 2021, National Treasury collected just about, um, they thought they would collect just about 100 billion rand in extra tax revenues in February this year, relative to October last year. By the end of the fiscal year, SARS reported uh, 36 to 38 billion rand more relative to what National Treasury thought in February, okay. uh, which means there was even better tax collections 
uh, that SARS made cost the budget that was tabled this February. And if you look in terms of what drove uh, that overcollection, it was really across all the major taxes, but the biggest one was better commodity prices that have risen on the back of significant US stimulus um, that drove global economic growth to a much faster pace compared to what it was expected. Remember the US fiscal stimulus was about, you know, in 2020 alone, about 3.3 trillion US dollars. And the one that was passed just now in March, 1.9 trillion US dollars. And there's another one that is being discussed uh, in Congress uh, for, for, for about 1.8 to 2.5 trillion US dollars. And that is driving um, commodity prices up, which means mining companies locally have been doing quite well on the back of this rising commodity prices. Um, okay. This has been one of the major contributor to um, performance of, of, of the mining sector in profits and therefore tax collections uh, for SARS. But also from the banking sector, we've seen much fewer bad debts than what banks had positioned to and provisioned for, uh, which means there was a better profitability for the banks, for the banking sector than what was initially feared. And also the income support that was provided to businesses and households through March of 2020 meant that uh, fewer jobs were lost than what would have been lost without the support, but it also meant that consumption continued to take place uh, on the household sites than what would have been uh, had we not have any support from government for household, which means vet collections from, from uh, normal spending or household consumption continued to, uh, to, to, to be there, and also corporate income tax for businesses that were helped by government continued to to help in terms of tax revenues. So okay. all in all, these are not something that can be repeated. But if you look from a commodity price point of view, yes, for this year, even the World Bank's forecasts that were released uh, about uh, a week ago, they do show that commodity prices are expected to rise this year. Almost all the industrial and precious metals commodities are expected to rise except for gold. But okay. going forward in 2022 and beyond, almost all commodity prices are expected to decline except for platinum, uh, which means this windfall that has been driven by rising commodities is unlikely to be repeated. So okay. this is why we need to be quite careful to say what sort of spending do we introduce uh, to the fiscals on the back of this windfall? How can we use that extra tax revenues um, in a much more fiscally prudent manner so that we continue to uh, improve our uh, you know, fiscal space and as a result, fiscal sustainability, which will also give room for monetary policy to adjust when financial conditions change globally. Okay, thank you. So before we get to that very important question, I just like to unpack a little bit more what you say about, you know, windfalls and them not being repeated. 
I guess that's the definition of a windfall. But I guess if we look at the economy opening up in the future and we look at how other sectors which have been constrained will now be open to more, to more work, such as your tourism industry and agriculture, surely we can expect our tax revenue to increase going forward, despite it not necessarily being defined as a windfall. Indeed, uh, th that is a, you know, a sensible expectation, but all that is already incorporated in national trade as economic growth forecasts. Okay. And if you look at those growth forecasts, they are, they are quite modest. Uh, for this year, just around 3.5. If you take the recent sub uh, forecast about 3.9. Uh, for next year, there's a moderation to about 2 percent if you look at the national treasury and beyond that we have 1.8 percent that already incorporates the recovery in the tourism sector it incorporates the continued performance in agriculture so all that is already incorporated and on the basis of those growth forecasts national treasury forecasts tax revenue collections on which it it's then uh, you know, come up with an expenditure distribution for those taxes. Now, when we have taxes that are collected that were not, uh, you know, envisaged in the budgeting process, then it means Treasury will be sitting with slightly higher revenues than what it has it had expected and budgeted for in terms of its, its spending. So the question is what then do we use those revenues for? And there are differing views out there. Some are saying, let's introduce or let's extend the basic income uh, grant, or you could even say, let's extend the COVID grant until such a point that we are no longer in a state of disaster, which makes sense because we need to continue to help those that do not have an income in the same way that we have helped uh, a lot of uh, households throughout 2020. Um, uh, the pandemic is still with us. They, they remain without jobs. So it makes sense to say, let's extend the COVID-19 grant to continue to assist those households. Mm -hmm. And then there is a different strain of the argument where there is a push to introduce a more permanent spending expenditure item, which is a basic income grant, I mean a basic income guarantee, okay. uh, which means those that are 18 to 59, as long as they do not work, they will receive a basic income from government. And this is permanent. Um, and the problem with that is we can't use a temporary tax windfall, such as one that we had now driven by commodity prices, which are themselves not permanent, to introduce a permanent expenditure item. How are we going to fund this expenditure item beyond this current year when we no longer have the tax revenues uh, that we are going to receive this year because of these short-term commodity price increases? And we've seen this historically, where on the basis of higher economic growth, expectations, not actual, expectations. Uh, National Treasury has committed to permanent spending, including the increase in 
public sector employees' salaries and wages. And when the economy stumbles and don't grow as, as fast as it was projected to, tax revenues had underperformed year in, year out, which means we could no longer meet the expenditure commitment that were made in national treasury to go to the market and borrow. That's why we find ourselves in the situation that we were in just before the pandemic, where our debt was already unsustainable as back as 2017. Um, it is because we had over budgeted and we have committed to permanent spending without permanent revenues to finance that spending. That's what we need to really think about when we argue or when we debate the basic income guarantee, because it is a permanent expenditure item. We need to identify permanent tax revenue um, collection methods that are going to be used to fund that on a sustained basis. Okay, thank you. That is very valuable and insightful. And I think it's flawless logic. Now for the big question though, how then should policymakers treat this short-term tax windfall? Where is the best way now to spend it? given all the, all the complexities we face? Look, there are two places where I would see that making um, you know, a lot of sense. First, it is to extend the COVID-19 grant to the extent that it is possible, continue to support those households that remain jobless, that require um, help from the government to get their basic needs covered. The second uh, aspect would be to reduce our debt levels, which means um, reduce borrowings and rather use these uh, tax revenues for already outlined expenditures. And this, in my view, is a much more uh, you know, fiscally prudent way to make sure that the benefits accrue to a larger proportion of people than just a few, mm -hmm. uh, in the sense that if we reduce our debt levels, we are likely to see a reduction in the risk premium and the, the cost of servicing our debt. Uh, and we are also creating enough fiscal space to be able to respond to any potential shocks to the economy going forward. Um, I think if we use these tax revenues in this way, it is much more sustainable because it puts our fiscal uh, uh, balances on a more sustainable uh, position. Because one, we'll be reducing debt much faster than what we, co we, we communicated to the market. Um, and that will result in a collapse or even a fall in bond yields uh, that should benefit the country in terms of uh, portfolio inflows. But the other reason why that would be a good idea to do, it is because the current conducive uh, global financial conditions um, are not going to, to remain with us forever. There are already debates that inflation is going to rise on a sustained basis because of the significant uh, fiscal stimulus, particularly from the US, and as a result, there are expectations that interest rates in the US, they will rise um, uh, at some point in time. And when those interest rates start to rise, 
there will be capital outflows from emerging markets. In South Africa, uh, having one of the highest increase in debt to GDP ratio uh, since the pandemic, we will be penalized more by markets, which means we are likely to be adversely impacted more compared to other emerging markets. So if we use the extra tax revenues to reduce that debt and create more fiscal space, we become much more comparable to other emerging markets such that we, we will not be an outlier as far as our fiscal balances are concerned. And that is going to be a benefit to us when global financial conditions change. Yes, that does sound prudent. Just out of interest, do we have any idea how much our servicing of debt would change by if we were to offset this and put it towards our debt? No, it's, it's quite difficult to, to, to tell. It all depends on what we use in terms of um, you know, extending the COVID-19 grant and whatever that is left therefore can be used for reducing our debt. Okay. But I understand National Treasury has borrowed a lot more than what is required currently. Okay. Uh, given that we now have um, a slightly higher tax revenue collected relative to what we expected. So what it would say to me is uh, reduce borrowings, use the extra tax revenues um, uh, now, um, or you could continue to borrow at the same rate as uh, you had expected and only reduce the borrowings in the in the next year when global financial conditions starts to tighten. Uh, that gives one a reprieve. And mind you, we do have quite a lot of redemptions uh, late 2022 into 2023. Uh, that would uh, mean that once we reduce our debt and debt service costs, it becomes easy for us to roll over the debt uh, in that time. And that is also the time that the Fed is expected to start, uh, you know, preparing back their quantitative easing, uh, popularly known as tapering, before they are expected to start increasing rates uh, in, 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 in mid-2023. Okay, thank you very much, Isaiah. It's really been a pleasure. Is there anything else you'd like to say to our listeners? I think it is really just to say, as we hear a lot of politicians campaigning, we need to be quite circumspect in terms of what they are promising. A basic income guarantee, though it's a noble you know, policy lever to you know, help households and reduce inequality, we actually need to you know, have a permanent way of actually funding it to make sure that it's sustainable. And um, we should uh, think hard to say what is in the best interest of the country over the long term, rather than, uh, you know, embracing political expediency at the expense of future generations. Yes. And I think that is also holds true for us as individuals, if we can only commit ourselves to some permanent expenditure on condition that we have a permanent source of revenue. I think we'll all be in a better position during these difficult times. Thank you, Zai. Always a pleasure having you on our show and thank you for all the insights in this podcast. Thank you, Magu, for having this chat. Uh, thank you very much and have a good day. Thank you. 
Also, big thank you to all of our listeners and to those of you who enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more about OSIS updates, please remember to subscribe to our social media pages. Till next time, this is your host, Margot G.